All right, if you have your Bibles, open again to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3, please. Thank you for that special. The music has been outstanding this morning. I'm so grateful for that. By the way, Merry Christmas. We're so glad and honored to have you with us today, especially if you're visiting with us. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come be with us this morning. We're honored to have you. We hope our time together will be a blessing to you and your family. And we're so grateful that each and every one of you are here this morning. Today we are celebrating probably one of the most significant events in all of human history. Let me say that again. We are celebrating probably the most significant event in all human history, and that event is when God became a man. When God became a man. The scripture we read this morning brought that truth out. And if you have your own Bible, of course, if you don't have a Bible, please borrow one for the service. So we'll be turning to several scriptures today, and I'll be giving the page numbers of the borrowed Bibles from the service. But we hope you join us using the scriptures. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, there's a certain phrase in there. If you haven't already, I'd like for you to underline in your Bible, not the church Bible, please, in your Bible. It says, 1 Timothy 3, 16, it says, and without controversy... Great is the mystery of godliness, and notice the next phrase, God was manifest in the flesh. Now, the word manifest means made known or appeared. When did God take on human flesh? When did God appear to man in a human body? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh dwelling among men, and said, justified in the spirit, talking about his resurrection, seen of the angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. So Jesus Christ was God who became a man. Last week, Tom Frazier sang a song, which I enjoyed so much. It was called, Love Was When. And the verse in the song said, Love was when God became a man, locked in time and space without rank or place. When God became a man. There was a true expression of love when God himself took on human flesh to dwell among men. Another song of my favorite, one of my favorites in Christmas time was called Mary Did You Know? You heard of that song? One of the stanzas said this, Mary did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod? And when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God. How true that was, that Mary had a baby boy that was God himself in human flesh. So today we're going to talk about when God became a man. We're going to get several things that Scripture bears us out. Hope you use your Bibles. First of all, God becoming a man was foretold in the Old Testament. This is not something new. It was foretold in the Old Testament. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7, please. Isaiah 7, page 991. We're going to see here that Jesus was called Emmanuel. Jesus is called Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, we're going to look at several scriptures of the Old Testament today. And all of these, I call them Christmas scripture, because you'll find many of these in Christmas cards verses that we use during the Christmas season. And here is a 600 years before Christ was born that prophet Isaiah foretells the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. 
Isaiah 7:14, page 991, if you use a church Bible. Page 991. Notice here it says Jesus is called Emmanuel. Look in verse 14, please. Therefore the Lord himself, Jehovah God himself, shall give you a what? A sign. The word sign means something unusual. It literally means a supernatural event, a miracle. And the miracle he's going to give us, the sign is the virgin birth. He said, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. A virgin is a woman who's never had physical relations with a man. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And notice here, and shall call his name what? Emmanuel. So again, this was prophesied over 600 years before Christ was even born. The prophet Isaiah foretells the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, the Virgin Mary, and said, that would be a sign unto you, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, this is foretold in the Old Testament, but it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Keep your finger right here in Isaiah, coming back to that. Go now to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew, the very first book of your New Testament, page 1342. Don't lose Isaiah, but coming right back to that, look at another Christmas verse in Isaiah. The fact that God became a man was foretold in the Old Testament by the prophet Isaiah. And here we have in Matthew chapter 1 the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied. Angel appears unto a man called Joseph. He heard his wife was pregnant, and he knew this child was not his. And while he thought on these things, an angel appeared unto him in a dream, and it said in chapter 1 of Matthew 1, look in verse 22. This is the angel speaking to Joseph. He said, all this was done that it might be what? Fulfilled. Which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet Isaiah saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. And they shall call his name, here it is again, Emmanuel. What does it mean? Read on, which is being interpreted, God with us. So the word Emmanuel means God with us. So Isaiah foretold that a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and that son will be none other than God with us in human form. So Jesus was called Emmanuel. Now go back to Isaiah, please. You let go of Matthew. Back to Isaiah chapter 9 this time. The Bible says Jesus is called the mighty God. Jesus is called the mighty God. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, if you lost your place in using a church Bible, it is page 993. Page 993. We're going to turn to several scriptures. Thank you for turning with me. Some of the scriptures will be on the screen. Others will be what look to at together. But I want you to see hopefully in using your Bible, that you will highlight these verses. These are verses foretelling the coming of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Look with me in Isaiah 9, verse 6, please. You probably recognize this verse, and we have several uh, cards. Thank you, by the way, for all the Christmas cards you've sent your pastor or given to your pastor. I go back and I look at my file folder, it's thick every time we come. Thank you so much. And so many of them include this verse in the, in the card. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is what? Born. Read on. 
unto us a son is given. Notice carefully, it didn't say the son was born. A child was born. That talks about his humanity. But a son was given his deity. The son was not born. He always existed. He's the eternal son of God. He always existed. He had no beginning, no ending. He's the eternal son of God. But notice a child of humanity was born. A son was given. Read on. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called what? Wonderful. I like that name, don't you? Counselor. And notice, underline the next phrase. The mighty God. Jesus Christ was the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Someone said there can be no peace without the Prince of Peace. But you know, there's a phrase in there that for a long time confused me. Notice Jesus Christ is not only called the mighty God, it's called the everlasting Father. Now, of the Trinity, the Godhead, there's three persons. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, why is the Son called the Father here? Notice here he's called the everlasting father. The word father uh, describes Messiah's relationship to time, not the relationship to the other members of the Trinity. He's the father of all time. Though God the father is talking about relationship to his son. So here the son, the mighty God, is called the everlasting father in his relationship to time, not the other persons of the Godhead. But notice here carefully Jesus Christ was called Emmanuel, God with us. And secondly, he's called the mighty God. Next, if you would please let go of Isaiah. I'll give you about 10 minutes to find this. Go to the book of Micah. Micah, he said, Pastor, I never heard of it. Let's not find it. Page 1304 for those of you in the church Bible. And I encourage those of you that may not know where it's at in your own Bible, look in the table of contents. <laughs> Exactly what page is on. Micah chapter 5, another Christmas verse. The prophet Micah is foretelling the very place the Messiah would be born. Micah chapter 5, again, page 1304. And notice what it says here in Micah 5, verse 2. Again, this is about 600 years before Christ was even born. The prophet Micah tells us the very place he'd be born, the very city. He said, but thou Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, was a very insignificant town, Bethlehem. Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be a ruler in Israel, read on, whose goings forth have been from of old, from how long? Everlasting. The word going forth means origin. His origin was from old, literally from everlasting. He is, Jesus is the eternal, everlasting God. Jesus Christ is the eternal, more specifically, the everlasting God. His origin was from old, how old? From everlasting, eternal. We're going to see later on, he had no beginning, no ending. He's the eternal Son of God. He's always existed. So this fact that God became a man was foretold in the Old Testament that Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is the mighty God. And Jesus is the eternal, everlasting God. Number two, Roman number two, please. God becoming a man was foretold in the Old Testament, but also 
proclaimed by the apostles. Proclaimed, preached by the apostles throughout the New Testament that God came to this earth in human flesh. First of all, look at, we're going to see what the apostle John wrote. Go with me now to John, please. John chapter 1, page 1483. Notice what the apostle John wrote about Jesus, God becoming a man, taking on human flesh. Very familiar verse, John chapter 1, verse 1. But boy, this verse is packed with great doctrine. John chapter 1, verse 1. Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. Jesus is the living word. And notice what it says here about Jesus Christ. John 1, verse 1. It says, in the what? Now, the word beginning is the same word, refers back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. So the same time period when God created the heaven and earth, guess who was there? The Son was. In the beginning was this word. Now, the word, word there is referring to the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God. In the beginning was the word. And notice here, the word was with God, and the word was God. You say, Pastor, how can you be with someone and be the same thing? Again, talking about, yeah, he's God, exactly. The Bible teaches there is only one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. But he exists simultaneously in three distinct separate persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All equally God, all eternally existent. And here it talks about the Son, God the Son, called the Word. God the Son was with God the Father, but also he was God. The Son is just as much God as the Father is God. They're both co-equal. So in the beginning of all time and creation, guess what? Was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, there's a religious group today that does not believe this verse. You know what they did? They changed it. They're called Jehovah Witnesses. You get their Bible, it's called the New World Translation. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They put a definite article, they said, Jesus was a God created by Jehovah God. And my friend, that is not true. That is heresy, it is wrong. And so the Bible teaches the beginning of all time and creation was the Word. And the Word was with the Father, and the Word was God. But read on, look down to verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 1. And the Word, talking about this, God the Son, was made what? Flesh. Now, you ought to draw a line, the latter part of verse 1. The Word was God, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh. When was God made flesh? In the person of Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the living word. Number two, the second thing John said about God becoming a man, Jesus is the creator of all things. Jesus, the God, the Son, the word is the creator of all things. If you want to look again there in John chapter 1 there, it says in verse 1, in the beginning was the word, 
The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Talking about the Son was the beginning with the Father. And notice verse 3, referring to the Son of God. All things were what? Made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, was the creator. Now let's go back in your mind. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. That refers to the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. Because it says here, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In fact, skip down, if you would, please, to verse 10. He says it again. John 1.10. He, God the Son, was in the world, and the world was what? Made by him, and the world knew him not. So John tells us very clearly, and we can, none of these verses really do justice. We're just scratching the surface of what the Bible says, how God become a man. But God, the apostle John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, and He was the one that created all things. Without Him was not anything made that was made. He made this world. That's what John taught. Now, let's look what the Apostle Paul taught about God becoming a man. Go a verse we looked at at the very beginning, and Jesus is God who appeared in a physical body. Jesus is God. The Apostle Paul taught that with the verse we looked at at the very beginning that uh, Pastor Rick read with us in 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest, appeared, made known in the flesh. So Paul taught the same thing John taught because all of it, it was originally come from the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus is God in a physical body. Now, if you would, please, turn with me to Philippians. Can you find that one? Philippians, page 1653. Philippians chapter 2. Give you a moment to find that. Here again are writings of the Apostle Paul telling us that God become a man. So this is not anything that's kind of scarce in the Scriptures. It's taught throughout the Bible. And we celebrated every Christmas when God became a man. Jesus Christ was God, the Son, who became a man. And look what he said here in Philippians chapter 2. This verse is written to believers about a mindset we should adopt, adopted from the Lord Jesus himself. Philippians 2, verse 5, page 1653. Verse 5, look what it says. Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also where? In Christ Jesus. The word mind talks about the mindset, the attitude, the way of thinking. Now, the mindset is that of being a servant. He's compelling God's people to be servant, to serve others. And the greatest example of servanthood was Jesus Christ. He said, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Look in verse 6, please. Who, to my Christ Jesus, who being in the form of what? God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let's back up, look at this together. He said in verse 6 that Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, come out, notice being preexistent and as God, being in the form of God, it says here, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. What it means is this, in God, who, uh, the Father who planned his son to come to this earth, when his son came to this earth, he did not see, look upon his deity as something to hold on to. Now, Talmud, don't let me lose you here. He never ceased to be God. He was perfect God and perfect man. But he said that the manifestation of his deity was not something he wanted to hold on to. He's willing to give up all his glory in heaven to become a man on this earth. Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. This is the Greek word of kenosis. It means to empty oneself. Now, don't let me lose you. Don't miss this at all. Jesus Christ, when he became a man, did not empty himself of deity. He was always fully God and fully man. He emptied himself the manifestation of his deity. When you saw him, you didn't see God. You saw man. When the shepherds came and saw the baby lying in the manger, they saw a human. When the uh, wise men came two years later and saw a, a boy in a house, they saw a small boy. When you saw Jesus Christ, though he was God, he was also man. And so when he became a man, he laid aside all his rights of any manifestation of his deity, and all you saw was a man. He always was God. Don't misunderstand that. He did not empty himself of deity, but the manifestation of his deity. And it said, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. The creator took on the form of one of his own creation, a man, yet without sin. Though he was perfectly man, he never sinned. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself. My friend, that's an understatement. Can you imagine the creator of all the universe who existed for all eternity past, who just became one of his own creation, a man? Talk about humbling yourself, and not just a man, but a servant of men. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. He became a man, a servant of man, and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Talk about humility. He died to pay for our sins by the most cruel, vicious ways to die, the cross. That was the execution of criminals. So God become a man, a servant of men, and then he become obedient to the Father and died on the cross for our sins. So Jesus was God who appeared in the physical body. Now, skip over to a little book to your right. Now, go to Colossians, please. You got Philippians, Colossians. The second thing that Paul taught about God becoming a man, Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Page 1657. Thank you for turning to me. One of the Musics that the pastor loves to hear is the ruffling of the pages. <laughs> Have you turn with me so you can see what I'm saying is not my opinion, not something I'm making up, but it's what the Bible teaches, what God says. In Colossians 1.15, in fact, it says there, in Colossians 1.15, you back up in verse 14, you see who the person is, talking about Jesus Christ. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, talking about Jesus Christ, through his blood, 
even the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15, who is the image of what? The invisible God. The word image of the invisible God. In other words, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus Christ. If God were to find a person caught in adultery, what would God do? Look at Jesus Christ. If God would find someone doing wrong, how would God respond? Look at Jesus Christ. You want to know what God's like? Look at Christ, how he come down to serve and love and forgive and heal. My friend, that was God in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. In fact, Hebrews, do not turn there, chapter 1, verse 3. Who, to my Jesus Christ, who being the, in the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person. So Jesus is God who appeared in a physical body. He is the image of the invisible God. And Paul taught the same thing John taught. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all the universe. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all the universe. If you still have Colossians, look in verse 16, please. We saw that the one who, through his blood, purchased our redemption, who is the image of the invisible God, verse 16, Jesus Christ, it says, For by him were how many things created? All things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and what? Now, when it says thrones, dominions, and principalities and powers, you know what that refers to? The angelic world. You realize Jesus Christ created Lucifer? He created all the angels, everything in heaven and earth. He was the creator of all things. And it says, verse 17, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, means held together. What keeps this world together? What keeps this from flying apart? Jesus Christ, held by the word of his power. And do not turn there. Nehemiah said this, referring to God. Exactly, Jesus Christ. Nehemiah 9, 6. Thou, even thou, O Lord, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven and the heavens of heavens with all their host. The earth, all things that are therein, the seas, all that are therein, and thou preservest them all. That means contains, sustains all of them. Jesus Christ is the creator and the sustainer of all creation. Number three. Number three. We saw God become a man was foretold in the Old Testament, proclaimed by the apostles, and lastly, most importantly, identified as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Go with me now back to John, John chapter 8, please. John chapter 8, page 1501. God becoming a man is identified as none other than Jesus Christ himself, that he is God in the flesh. And notice here, Jesus called himself, he said, he is the great I am. You heard that term before? I am. In John chapter 8, verse 56, and a result of this statement, the Jews sought to kill him because he was claiming deity. In John 8, 56, page 1501, 
Jesus speaking to the Jewish people, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Look what he's responding, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, when you read that phrase, our mind ought to go back all the way back to the book of Exodus. When a bush was burning, yet not being consumed, Moses was born into the wilderness. He saw a bush burning. And all of a sudden, a boy spoke out of the bush, said, I'm the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Take off your shoes for you're walking on holy ground. And the story goes on to say, God appeared unto Moses in that burning bush. He said, Moses, I've chosen you to deliver my people out of Egypt. And the response was this in Exodus 3, 13. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I am come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they shall say unto me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? Verse 14. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus saith, thus shalt thou say the children of Israel, I am have sent you. Look up here, please. What Jesus told the Jewish people before Abraham was, I am. He was claiming to be the one who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. He was claiming to be God. He was God. This name means he is the eternal self-existent one. The name I am. He didn't say I was. I will be. I am. Present tense. Is the eternal self-existent one. Next, these words express an absolute, unchanging, and eternal being. When Jesus said, I am the I am, the great I am, these words express an absolute, unchanging, and eternal being. Remember the song I shared with you, Mary, did you know? One of the stanzas said this, Mary, did you know that your baby is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? This sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. Now, we don't get our doctrine from hymns, but I'm so encouraged when I see hymns that are true to doctrine. And this one is that Jesus Christ is the great I am. So, Jesus is the great I am. Next thing about Jesus, Jesus is the everlasting almighty God. Go with me now to Revelation, the last book of your Bible. We're just about finished. Revelation chapter 1. That should be easy for you to find unless your Bible's upside down, okay? Revelation chapter 1, page 1722. Jesus is the everlasting almighty God. Again, this is the writer of John, Apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And notice Jesus was speaking here. If you have a red letter edition, probably in red letters here. In Revelation 1, verse 8, notice the title that Christ gave himself. Revelation 1, verse 8, Jesus is the everlasting, almighty God. He said, I am Alpha and Omega. What does that mean? Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. You like saying, I'm the A and the Z. <laughs> I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the what? Almighty. 
That's Jesus Christ, everlasting, almighty God. And do not turn there. Jesus is also called the first and the last. Revelation 22, 13, I'll read it to be on the screen. He said, he repeated a phrase here. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the what? Last. You know, Jehovah God said the same thing about himself. Do not turn there. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, Jehovah, the King of Israel, his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, I am the last. Beside me there is no God. Uh, Jehovah said beside him is no God. Jehovah's Witnesses had created another God. But Jehovah said beside me there is no God. He's the only God who exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. So God the Father said, I am the first and the last, showing that he is equal with God the Son and vice versa. Now, we've got to wrap it up here. By the way, why did God become a man? The whole message is say, when God became a man, why did he do that? I'm glad you asked. Let's go with me now to Matthew chapter 1. We'll close with this. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1, page 1342, our last scripture, and we'll wrap it up with this. I wish we had more time. We're just really scratching the surface of what the Bible teaches clearly, that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, who come to live among men. But why did he do that? We're talking about his incarnation. The word incarnation means his enfleshment, when God become a man. But that was not an end to itself. The incarnation was a means to an end. Look here in Matthew chapter 1. Again, this is the angel speaking to Joseph, who found out Mary was pregnant. And it said, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, verse 21 Notice carefully what it says. Now, I'm going to misread this on purpose so you, know, so you understand what it does really say. Verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son that shall call his name Jesus, and he shall be a good example for us to live. Did it say that? Oh, I misread that. And she shall bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus, and he shall teach us how to go to heaven. No, it doesn't say that. That he shall what? Save his people from their sins. The purpose Jesus Christ came is to save us from our sins. Look up here, please. Prior to his incarnation, the Son of God was a spirit like the Father was. So the second person of Godhead, the Word, became flesh. He became a man, born of a virgin, born without sin, lived a perfect life, then he died on the cross. The crucifixion was the means, the purpose of his birth. He was born to die. God himself in the spirit cannot die. The God of heaven, look at me please, God said this. He said, the soul that sinneth, it must die. But God loves you. He doesn't want you to pay for your sins. You know what he did? He said, I'll pay the debt for you. Whew. Can you imagine? The one who pronounced the debt came to pay the debt. Now, you and I, we owe the debt. We're the sinners. 
We're the ones who've done wrong. We've broken his law's commandments. The wages of sin is death. But the God who said that said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to send my son, the Lord Jesus, the word, to this earth to pay the debt for you. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Bible said there on the cross, Peter said, bearing our sin is on body on the tree. And there on the cross, bearing our sin and shame, God the Father punished his son for what we've done wrong. He died in your place. He paid for your sin. He was buried and he rose again. So the incarnation was a means to the cross, that he would come to the cross and die to pay for our sin. How many grateful that God did that? By the way, only God can pay for sin. When a person goes to hell, he goes to hell to pay on the debt. My friend, Jesus paid the debt. The last thing he said on the cross, it is finished. You know what that means? Paid in full. How about you? Don't read that. I get excited. Like you, I'm a sinner. I owe the holy God of heaven a penalty. I owe him a debt. And the debt of my sin is to spend eternity in a place called hell. But God loved me, didn't want me to go to hell, and sent his son to do for me what I can't do for myself. He sent his son to pay for my sin and save me. For he shall save his people from their sin. He saves you from sin's penalty and power and one day sin's presence. That's what he came to do. I wish we had more time. we got to stop there because this is a very special day and you got things planned. So what are we celebrating today? We're celebrating when God become a man. Now, tomorrow is the day we, uh, that we'll call Christmas. We celebrate that very special time. And I want to encourage you, and all the times I have my family over to my house and, the, and my grandkids are going to be spending the night with us and get up tomorrow morning and open gifts. But take time during the day, especially you men, the head of the house, and say, enjoy all the presents and gifts family. Let's pause a moment. Let's thank God for what he did for us. We give to others, why? Because he first gave to us. And he gave his son the perfect gift. And go over that truth again. That God become a man to live among us and allow his own creation to nail him to a cross. And there on the cross, he paid our debt, was buried and rose again. You know what he does? He offers you a gift. Now, most of you, maybe all of you, have received that gift. It's called eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. Have you ever received this gift? Uh, I'm sure you may have gifts at home. Have you ever received God's gift? Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift, the gift of eternal life. Let's bow together, please. As our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, we conclude our service this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. I want to share with you biblically what the Bible teaches, the purpose of what we're celebrating tomorrow, that when God himself become a man in the person of Jesus Christ, he did that because he loved you. He loved you so much. He didn't want you to pay for your sin. He came to pay the debt for you, and he paid the debt, was buried, and he rose again. And he offers you eternal life free. It cost you nothing. It cost him everything. He paid the debt of sin, which is death, paid it in full, and now he offers you the gift of eternal life. If you haven't ever received God's gift, why not do it right now? Why not take God at his word and believe that when Christ died, he died for you, 
and trust him to forgive you and give you eternal life. Would you do that? If you have done that, heaven's your home. That's settled. But if you have not, let's do it right now as we close the service. Why not talk to God in your own thoughts and maybe say something like this. Only he knows your thoughts. You cannot go wrong. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge and admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I've earned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe that you love me so much. You provided a substitute. You sent your son, Jesus, to this earth to pay the debt for me. I believe when Christ died, he died for me. He was buried, and I believe he rose again. And right here this morning, realizing I cannot save myself, I'm trusting Christ to save me, forgive me, and to give me eternal life. I'm trusting Christ my Savior here this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning and you trusted Christ, i like to know that. I just want to rejoice. I'm not going to have you forward to point you out. I'm going to do this with heads bowed and eyes are closed so no one will be put on the spot. But if that made sense to you, and for the first time you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, and will allow me to include you in the closing prayer, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, would you simply indicate that by raising your hand? Pastor, I trust in Christ my Savior. Would you pray for me? Here's my hand. I did that today. Anyone at all this morning? Here's my hand. Pastor, I trust in Christ. Would you pray for me? Anyone all this morning? That made sense? I trust in Christ. This morning is my Savior. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all today? Dear Father, I hope that means each one has already made that decision. What a wonderful day we celebrate. The day that God become a man in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us so much that you did not want us to pay for our sin. So you provided a substitute, the Lord Jesus, who came to this earth and died on the cross for us, who paid our debt that we might spend eternity with you. Thank you, Father, for that gift of eternal life through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. His name we pray. Amen.